Amen. I want to jump in real quick because I want to finish this. I told you last week, I thought I was finished with this series until Dee told me what she was ministering, and Holy Spirit said, that works in there too. And uh, so actually, and this happens from time to time, what is being taught to you here is being taught to the kids at the back at the same time. Um, and uh, so I want to jump in. We've been talking of this series called Kingdom Focus, and it's about how to focus in the kingdom and how as the body of Christ, we are the kingdom of God, right? Jesus told even the Pharisees who wasn't even following him at the time, he said, the kingdom of heaven is in you. And so if the kingdom is in us, then we have to act like the king. Come on. And so we talked about first the focus of revival and we looked at Hezekiah and how he, when he became king, he began to change things and focus on revival in, in, in the house of God and, and, and re reestablish the house of God. And if you'll remember, I want to remind you that Hezekiah, when he looked around and he saw people participating in the Passover who weren't ceremonial or ritually clean, he didn't freak out. He didn't tell them, hey, don't, you can't worship like that. You're not clean. He just let them worship. And he prayed over them and said, Father, purify their hearts. And, and, and the encouragement when revival comes, it may bring people that don't act like you, that don't live like you, that don't seem like you. And when they come, our job is not to sit back and say, oh no, you can't, you can't worship with us. You can't worship like that because you've got this going on in your life. you got that going on in your life. No, what we're going to do is we're going to do like Hezekiah did, and we're going to pray over them and say, Father, purify their hearts. Because after all, he said, whoever sins, you forgive. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll be forgiven, somebody said. And so that's the focus of revival. Then the next thing we looked at was the focus on being the habitation of God, on knowing that we are the habitation of God and we're not looking for a visitation from God. These manifestations and visitations are great, but they only come, a manifestation will only come when you understand you're the habitation. If you don't understand you're the habitation of God, then a visitation from God is going to be a stretch. Then we looked at uh, <clears throat> that the church needs to begin to focus on the prophetic. How your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Amen. With the things that Jody said today about being free, that's prophecy. And then she stood and just prophesied straight to Tyler. Because you're young and men. So this isn't just for us gray hairs. We got to quit. We, we got to come to the point where we stop thinking we've got it all figured out. <laughs> I'll go on because people get offended. And then last week we looked at the focus on realizing who we are in Christ, how God has chosen us and, and made us to be. And so we're talking about a kingdom focus and operating in the kingdom and being who God had called us to be. And folks, I want you to remember, you were designed for greatness. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's your design, that's your DNA. You were designed to be the greatness of God. You were designed to be the glory of God. Matter of fact, inside of you, it says Christ in us is the hope. 
Christ in you is the hope. And so you're designed to rule. We've looked at the scripture over the last few weeks. You're designed to rule and reign in life. And the Holy Spirit kept saying to me, you cannot operate in the kingdom if you don't act like the king. You can't operate. Does that mean you're not part of the kingdom? Absolutely not. But he says, how many of you know there's there's a difference in being in something? I can go out here and sit in my car, but if I don't use the keys, I can't operate it. I'm just sitting there. These keys, these are the keys we've been talking about, about operating in the kingdom. And he said, he said, you can't operate in the kingdom if you don't act like the king. So our job is to act like the king. And so what we want to do is I need to ask a question and a couple questions before we look at this last focus that I think we need to focus on. Um, has, have you ever been hurt? I'm not talking physically. Has somebody ever hurt you? Ever said something that just crushed your spirit? Ever said something that offended you deeply? I know not you all. <laughs> and, and, and the moment you go to say something, Ted, this is what happens to me. I go to say something, all of a sudden I hear Holy Spirit go, no, 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 no. Forgive them. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> and he says, we'll do it anyhow. See, folks, we live in a world, now we know that Christ has made us perfect spiritually, but not everybody operates from their perfect spirit, right? So when I say this, understand that. I'm not talking about your spirit, but we live in a world of imperfect people. And and that means that not everybody's operating in their perfect spirit. So what happens when imperfect people rub, rub elbows with other imperfect people is a lot of times bad things happen. Things get said, things get done. And we get offended and we get hurt. And we ask ourselves, how can I forgive them for what they've done? How can I forgive them and them just get away scot-free? Or how can I forgive them or what if I forgive them and they come back and hurt me again? Today we're going to look at the focus of forgiveness. Today we're going to look at the focus of forgiveness. Everybody remember the story of Joseph, minding his own business, having his dreams, his dad gave him his fancy coat, and he's out there and he's living life and he's going and telling his brothers, man, I had, I had sheaves and you all had sheaves, but all your sheaves and mom and dad's sheaves, they all bowed down to mine, and then I was, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed down to my stars, and then they started getting jealous because, you know, the dad was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing by loving him more than the others and showing it. Come on. I won't get into a parenting thing here. And so what happens is, the father's favorite gets sold into slavery, and then the bunch who bought him sells him into slavery again. And so he begins to work his way up to where he is now in charge of a leader's home. Then he gets lied on by the leader's, that leader's wife because she wanted to sleep with him and he wouldn't sleep with her. And, you know, and so she lies on him and gets him thrown into prison. So this is a guy who goes from the bottom of a well to being sold into slavery, to being sold again, and now worked his way up, had a decent life, then was lied on, and ended up, does it sound like any of your story? 
He got lied on and ended up in prison. And then in prison, he works his way up to where he's the trusted prisoner. Then a butler and a, and a baker get thrown in. They have dreams. He interprets their dreams. He said, listen, I only ask one thing. If I interpret these dreams for you, then just remember me when you go back and talk to Pharaoh. He said, it's going to turn out good for one of you. For one of you, it's not. And you all know the story. And so what happens is they forget about him. And he's still stuck in prison. I don't know about y'all, but I'd be mad about now. I'd be mad at God. I'd be mad at my brothers. I'd be mad at the first bunch that bought me. I'd be mad at the second bunch. Of, I'd be mad at Potiphar's wife. I mean, I'd just be, I'd, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you about me. All right? Maybe you're better than that. So now Pharaoh has a dream. Well, who can interpret the dream? And all of a sudden, the one who remembered said, oh yeah, that guy back in prison. So they go and get him, they bring him to Pharaoh, and now he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh is so excited and so honored that, 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 that God sent someone there to give him the dream. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll make you second in command of all of Egypt. So here's a guy that goes from being daddy's favorite to the bottom of a well to being sold not once but twice, to being a highly favored servant to a prisoner, a highly favored prisoner to being forgotten, and now he finds himself second in command, but he's still carrying hurt. He's still carrying hurt. So one day when there's a famine in the land, Israel sends them down, say, go to Egypt, get some food. And when he comes to Egypt, they, rec they don't recognize him, but he recognizes his brothers. These are the ones that hurt me. You know, the word says that it brought anger up in him. It brought anger up in him. As a matter of fact, uh, one translation says he spoke gruffly to them. In other words, they, out of the blue, here is this leader beginning to just come at them. And y'all know these stories, so that's why I'm flying through it. What's he do? I tell you what, he put them all in prison for three days. And then when they come out, he said, I tell you what I'll do. I want to see your brother. You say you have a brother? Go back and get him. So he gives them all the, the stuff they want. Then he puts the money that they came with back in their sack, but he keeps one of them as a prisoner. They go back, they open up the sacks, there's all their money. They tell their dad, we can't go back without, uh, 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 without Benjamin. Now here's the thing that I caught last night that, I, that made me wonder, Steve. How long did they leave Simeon in prison in Egypt? Because the word says that they used all the food that they had. They didn't even, this is a bunch now. Let me tell you, they didn't even go back and get the brother that was in prison. They just left him. And then when they're, they're, the, the famines hit again and they have no more food, then finally it just says, go and, 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 and get some more food. So we can't go if we don't take Benjamin with us. So y'all know the story, he goes back, gives them all the stuff, and finally, you know, the cup and all this stuff, and, and he finally reveals himself to them. 
And I want to pick this story up in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8. And here's going to be our kickoff point today. Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, from the voice. Now, what Jacob's doing, not Jacob, Joseph. I probably said Jacob this whole time, haven't I? What Joseph's doing here is he's telling them why all this happened. In Genesis 45, verse 8, and it was really, it wasn't really you who sent me here, but God. The same God who made me advisor to Pharaoh, master of his household, and ruler over everyone in the land. Hurry now, go to my father, relay this message. Here is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all of Egypt. Come to me and don't delay, and I'll arrange for you to settle in the land of Goshen where you can be near me. You and all your children and grandchildren, as well as your flocks and herds and everything you have. And I'll provide for you there. Since five more years of famine are still to come, and I will make sure your household and everything you have will not descend into poverty. You say, well, why do you read that? Because not just this story, but the entire Word of God is a work about forgiveness. This is one of the hardest messages that you will hear, because it's one of the hardest to live. It's one of the hardest to do. This is one of those, pull up your big kids drawers here, because this is going to challenge you today. I hope. Um, and I'm, not, I'm telling you, I don't think I understand everything about forgiveness. But I do think that there are some things that, that the Word makes crystal clear that we're going to talk about. And I'm excited to get into some of this. And so the first one is we're going to look at some questions about forgiveness. And the first one is this, why is it so important for us to forgive? Well, that's, that's great. To quote that scripture, and I agree, because we've been forgiven. But a lot of people don't understand why is it so important. Folks, let me tell you something. The Word tells us, and we're going to look at it here in just a second, that unforgiveness opens doors of the enemy to lead you into oppression. Yeah, but whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Right, the Son has set you free, and you are free. But that doesn't mean that I don't chain myself up. Oh, that's cool. Let me, let me wrap this chain that, that's fallen at my feet. Let me wrap it around my ankle. Unforgiveness. And some of us may have some things that we really need to forgive folks for in here. Unforgiveness opens the doors and can bring about bondage. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. I know, I've, I've hit teach mode again here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. If you forgive anyone, I forgive that one as well. Oh, you look what Paul says. You know what this tells me? Unforgiveness is contagious. Because Paul's saying there, if, if they're not forgiven in your eyes, they're not forgiven in mine. We need to be careful with unforgiveness because your unforgiveness does not just affect you. Well, if I want to hold a grudge, I'll just hold a grudge. 
except for the fact that grudge is never just about me. Because if I'm going to hold a grudge against Alice, and all of a sudden I go over here and I talk to Sydney about everything that's going on between me and Alice, and now all of a sudden she hears one side, how many of you know there's two sides to it? She hears one side of my story, and now all of a sudden she has got a grudge against Alice. Come on. And then she decides that she's going to go over there and talk, Sydney's going to go over there and talk to the other Sydney. Now I've got two Sydneys against one Alice. See, this is what unforgiveness does. So, but Paul says here, if you forgive, so what else should be contagious forgiveness? Paul says here, if you forgive them, I'll forgive them. The me- I think it's the message version of this. Paul says, it's not like I'm going around holding a list of grudges. Mm. He says, have no doubt, anything that I have forgiven when I do forgive is done ultimately for you in the presence of the anointed one. Verse 11, he's still talking about forgiveness here. It is my duty to make sure that Satan does not win even a small victory over us. Unforgiveness is a victory of the enemy in your life. We're worried about all these big giant things gaining victory over our lives. And he says that it is a, uh, can you back that up, Bob, please? There you go. That if Satan does not win even a small victory. Unforgiveness is a victory of the enemy. Why? Because it's us chaining ourselves down. It's us trying to resurrect a zombie nature that should be dead, or that is dead. But we keep trying to resurrect this thing. So he says, it's my duty to make sure that there's even a small victory over us, for we don't want to be naive and fall prey to his schemes. Unforgiveness is a scheme of the enemy. And when I stand in unforgiveness, I am willingly walking into a scheme that the enemy has to hold me back, to keep me from moving forward into the things of God. Are you with me? Unforgiveness is contagious. It is an effect of the enemy. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 out of the message translation. Hang on, because this is work, because this isn't easy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, so go ahead and be angry. So I'm not telling you don't get angry. The Bible even says you can get angry. Right? But what does that anger look like? It's very, very short. And it's very, very little because you can't control that emotion that comes up. That emotion, you don't believe me? Come here, let me punch you on the nose and see what comes out of your first thing in your mind. The first thing out of your mouth is not going to be, bless you, brother. (laughs) Shirley already said she'd punch me back. He said, so go ahead and get angry. You do well. Anger is an emotion. If you don't express it somehow, not by punching somebody in the nose, it'll eat you alive. You can't hold on to that. It breeds unforgiveness, and when it breeds unforgiveness, Scientifically, it shows it raises your blood pressure, it causes ulcers. It does. I'm not even going into all the science of it today. 
He said, but go ahead and get angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Ah, now's the kicker. Your anger is your anger. It's not someone else's anger. That means you shouldn't give it to them. Don't blow up on them. Don't, okay. And don't stay angry. And don't go to bed angry. Verse 27, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Oh. See, when I use my anger as unforgiveness to get even with someone, to pray the fire of, he- of, of, of the, like, you know, pray the fire down and consume them. And I've told you the story about going through and I, I hear this guy praying in the hospital and I stopped to listen and he's saying, God, I lost my wife. I've lost my house. I've lost my car. I've lost it all. And I thought, Ooh, I'm going to go in and pray with this guy. And the next words out of his mouth was kill them all, God, kill them all. You know what he's doing? He is wrapping a chain, willingly wrapping a chain around his feet and keeping him bound into a bad situation that God never intended for him to stay in. And when I do this same thing, it is giving the devil a foothold in my life. Anger hurts you. Unforgiveness hurts you. Have you ever just been unforgiving to someone and they not even know there was an issue? They're whistling Dixie, they're doing their thing, and you're looking at them like, how in the world can you live like that? This will bother you as bad as it bothers me. That's your anger, that's not their anger. You're the one chaining yourself into that situation. Or you have this thing that you go, you have words with someone, we'll call it that, we'll be nice and, and, and in here. We have words with someone, and then we go home, and in the drive on home, we think, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> oh, if I'd have said that. And then we start saying all the things we wanted to say. What are you doing? You're wrapping a chain around yourself and keeping yourself locked into a thing that Christ has already set you free from. It is putting the enemy, allowing him to grab a foothold in your life. This is hard. Unforgiveness leads to the enemy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mary Karen Reed. You remember several years ago when they had the shooting at uh, Virginia Tech? This has been several years ago. The last entry in her journal, which is, I believe it was the last, the day before she was shot and killed. This is what she wrote. When deep injury is done to us, we never recover until we forgive. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it enlarges the future. Forgiveness won't change the past. Scars, you know why scars are there? They don't hurt anymore. I've got a perfectly round scar right here on my arm from a 16-penny nail being driven into my arm. It don't hurt no more. I can remember that. And I'm going to say this again later. For somebody to tell you, forgive and forget is impossible. 
You'll never forget. You've went through hurt. You've went through pain. It's okay to acknowledge that. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the rest of my minute. It's okay to acknowledge I was hurt. But understand that that pain is only there. My grandma used to tell me all the time about scab, Sheila. Don't pick it. Don't pick it. As long as you pick it, it'll stay infected. It'll stay bloody. It'll stay a mess. <laughs> Sometimes that's what we do. When we relive in that situation in our car on the drive home, I wish I'd have said this, and if I'd have said this, and I'd have said that, we're just picking that scab. We're continuing to allow the enemy to chain us into a position that we should be free from. Now, let me, see, I want to read that to you again. When deep injury is done to us, we never recover until we forgive. Forgiveness does not change the past. So what I'm preaching to you today is not going to change your past, but it's to enlarge your future. Amen? Mark chapter 11. We know this as the charismatic verses. I'm reading to you out of the Passion Translation because it translates it correctly here. In verse 22, Mark 11:22, it says, <coughs> Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. King James Version says, Verily I say unto you, have faith in God. The, the correct translation is let, the God, let God's faith be in you. Verse 23, listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain, with great faith and having no doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes what he says will happen, it will be done. Praise God. There's power in your words. Verse 24, he says, and when, uh, where'd 24 go? Do I have 24 on there? Yeah. And this is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, so you've got to believe that you've already gotten it, that God has already provided that you have received it and it will be yours. And here's where us charismatics stop. We preach that about speaking, about believing. You've got to speak it more than, you've got to believe it more than you speak and you speak it more times than you have to believe it. It's about the words that come out of your mouth. But if we don't read on, we don't get the full part of the scripture. Look at verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him so that your Father in heaven will release you and forgive you of your faults. The scriptures about speaking to mountains and moving scriptures is tied directly into how you forgive. Maybe some of the things we've been speaking and declaring and believing that haven't come to pass are still being waiting, are still waiting on us to forgive and release some things and release some people to be free from. Come on. And then we speak to mountains. Maybe our mountains is not moving because we're still holding on to unforgiveness. He says, and when you stand praying, if you find that you have something in your heart against another person, release him. Forgiveness means to release. So you're, you're, you're holding on. It's not that the enemy is holding on. You're, you're saying, here, grab that. I'm over here free. I'm free as a bird, man. 
whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But all of a sudden, Denise offends me, and rather than releasing that, I just walk over and say, here, hold this, hold this for me. And then the enemy says, okay, I'll be, I'll glad to hold this here. I can't put change on you any other way, but if you're going to give it to me, now look at verse 26. But if you will not release forgiveness, don't expect your Father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds. Now, I know we try to preach that as God's not going to forgive you, and, and we know that sin's already been done. We're already been forgiven. Now, he's talking about other misdeeds that come forth here, us trying to live outside of our new creation reality. When I walk in unforgiveness, I am actually walking over here outside of my new creation reality. And out, out here is sickness, out here is death, out here is poverty because I have changed my mind about who I am. I'm angry and I'm unforgiving to Maisie. And so what do I do? I chain myself out here, and God's wanting me over here. God didn't move me out here. Brent moved me out here. Are you with me? He says, so if I don't release forgiveness, so why is it so hard to forgive then? If forgiveness is really that important, why is it so hard? Well, the first thing is we want them to pay. I should have put that on the screen. Is we want them to pay. They hurt me, they need to hurt. Touching home today, I hope. They hurt me, they need to hurt. That would all be good, except for we look at Jesus in Luke 23. In Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And look what they were doing while he said it. And they divided up his clothes. They were still in the process of humiliating him. They were still in the process of hurting him. He's hanging by his hands and feet on a tree. Bared, stripped down naked before the whole town. And they're treating his clothes like it's coals. And they're gambling for his clothes. He didn't want them to pay. He didn't want retaliation. See why this is hard? Remember, if we're going to operate in the kingdom, we got to act like the king. Well, the king says, go ahead and hurt me. Do your best. Do everything you got to do for me. I'm going to hang right here and I'm going to cry out to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Imagine if we would start looking at people that way. Jesus did not look for retaliation. So the first thing is we think they need to pay. Although Jesus didn't think anybody needed to pay. He said, here, I'll pay it all. Nobody had to pay. Glory to God, that'll make you shout if you think about it. The second thing is why uh, forgiveness is so hard is, and I said it earlier, is we think we have to forget the offense. And you're gonna hear me say this again later. But forgiveness is really about you giving up your right to retaliation and hanging on to it. Forgiveness is about you giving up your right to be right. <laughs> well, I don't want to give up my right to be right. 
But is your right to be right worth a relationship? It wasn't to Jesus. He came and said, he's the Messiah, and what we do, we crucified him anyhow. He was right, but he gave up his right to retaliation. So when we, we, we walk around and we think we have to forget the offense, folks, you can't forget it. It happened. I've got a scar on my shin bone where I was doing something my mama told me not to do. Imagine that. I fell and cut my leg to the bone. I looked down and I'm looking at bone on my leg and I'm like, That's, I'm seeing the inside of my body here. My mama didn't do that to me. Me walking outside of her order of protection caused me to injure myself. But you know what? It doesn't hurt today. It doesn't hurt. Forgiveness is all about releasing yourself. When you release them of their misdeeds against you, you're releasing yourself to walk in freedom. So what we think they have to pay, and you know, so here's what we actually need to start saying. And though you've offended me, and I may never forget that, I may never forget that you hurt me. I'm choosing today to relinquish my right to retaliation or to get even. See, that's all an argument is, is somebody wanting to get even. even. That's why you have that conversation with yourself driving home. You're looking to get even. Oh, I would have evened the score with that one. I would have got even there. Oh, uh. I guess I'm the only one that's ever had that. that, that time. And you're, what you're doing is you're actually releasing an offense to God who is designed to carry all your offenses. So first, we, 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 uh, the first thing is we want them to pay. The second thing is we think we have to forget it. The third thing is, is we don't think we can trust them anymore. Folks, forgiveness and trust have nothing to do with each other. If, if, if since you're sitting there out front, if Missy cheats on Bill and comes to him and says, Bill, forgive me. Bill's like, oh, now wait a minute here. And he forgives her. Right? How many of you know he can offer forgiveness and things can go on for the rest of their lives in perfect marital bliss? Well, no, it can never. Forgiveness, I'm going to read you a definition of forgiveness that we should all strive for here in a minute and it's going to... Uh, hurt. Um, but here's the thing, though he forgives her, forgiveness is given, it's just, it's offered. Here, here, I forgive you, I'm releasing you. Trust and credibility may have to be earned back. Because we're human. As much as we want to walk like God, we don't do it right all the time. Can we just admit that? See, trust and credibility has to be earned back. So it doesn't mean that, we ha that we'll trust him again automatically. Trust is earned back. The fourth thing is, is we want the apology. 
We want the satisfaction of that person standing before us, looking us in the eye and saying these great words, I'm sorry. And, we, and, and in the back of our mind, we're going, oh yeah, so sweet. Man, that feels good. We're, you know, we're standing there all straight faced. We get holy then and say, I forgive you. And then that's what's going on on the inside. We want the apology. When Jesus declared, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he didn't ask for an apology. Father, forgive them for crucifying me. Oh, we're sorry, Jesus. No, that never happened. He forgave them without an apology. Forgiveness is never about the other person. Forgiveness is about releasing you from a situation that has you bound when you should be free. Mm. We want that sense of justice. Well, I can't forgive them until they're sorry for what they did to me. They may never be. They may never be. I may be feeling completely justified that I punched you in the nose. That that was the right thing to do. And you may never get an apology out of me. But if you will offer forgiveness and you will release me from that offense, it releases you to be where God wants you to be because then you're acting like the king who forgave without an apology. Forgiveness is me saying you're guilty. And even if you never repent, I still choose to release you. And I release God to settle this the way he sees fit. And that means you're not waiting for the ball to drop on them. And that means that you're not sitting back going, oh, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch. No. It's when I release them, I release them because I've released myself and I begin to come out here and walk in freedom. Freedom is found when you forgive, not when they apologize. Imagine if a church, imagine if a church would act like this. How in the world would people have time, how in the world would they have an argument to stay away from this type of person? Oh, why would I go to church? I already feel bad enough about myself. Come on. What if we acted like God and we forgave? So, as they were casting their lots, so I want to give you just a couple more. What does it mean to forgive? What does it really mean to forgive? I don't know what was up with Noah Webster. But he can make life hard. This is Webster's original definition of forgiveness. To pardon, to remit as an offense or a debt. To overlook an offense. Uh-oh. And treat the offender as not guilty. But they done, you don't know what I lived through. I lived through hell because of them. Okay. But if you want to be free, it's not, you're not forgiving them for them. 
you're forgiving them for you. And when you release them, it releases you from the chains that held you there. To <laughs> yeah, to treat them as not guilty doesn't mean that I'm going to go over here and just buddy up to Bill because he offended me. And, and No, I'm going to, when I look at Bill, I don't want nothing bad to happen to Bill. I don't want Bill hurt. I want blessings on Bill. When I can pray joyfully for Bill to be blessed and I'm excited when he rolls up in the Cadillac that I want. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill got a Cadillac, yes, but didn't Bill just pop you in the back of the head a minute ago last week? Yeah, he did, but he got a Cadillac. God's good to him, and if God's good to him, then God's good. See, what I've done, I don't care if he ever says he's sorry. I'm walking in the freedom of the Lord. I'm walking in a place where God can bless me. It has nothing to do with him, and I know that I have forgiven him is when I don't want bad for that person anymore. Oh. Everybody say maturity. This is what we're talking about. Imagine if a church would operate like this. Oh. <laughs> to treat the offender as not guilty. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephes you two are catching it all today, aren't you? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 from the message. It says, don't grieve God. King James verse says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And, we, and, and us charismatic thinks that's talking about the non-charismatics. Well, they don't believe in speaking in tongues. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. That has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. has nothing to do with dancing. has nothing to do with falling out. Grieving the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with any of that thing. He says, and don't grieve God. Don't break his heart, his Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Look at verse 31. This is what he says. You can't, it's talking about reading all these together in context. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Grieving the Holy Spirit is directly related to how you treat people, not any other spiritual thing. Just, you know, I'm waiting for the charismatic ah, to, to die down. Make a clean break of all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Remember, we can't operate in the kingdom unless we act like the king. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgiving one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. This is how we're supposed to live. And to live anything other than that grieves God in us. How are we going to live? Get rid of all the cutting each other, get rid of the backbiting, get rid of profane talk against each other. We're going to be gentle with one another. We're going to be sensitive and we're going to forgive as thoroughly as Christ forgave us. Let it go. Thank you. I said I wasn't going to sing it, but it came anyhow. I'm going to tell on my daughter. I ain't going to tell you what happened. 
But if y'all don't know, my future son-in-law shares a wall in the townhouses with us. He lives on the backside of the same town. And I was standing at the wall screaming, let it go, let it go. This is how God wants us to live. And when we let it go, we're not freeing them of anything they've done. We're not freeing them of their guilt. They will have to deal with that and let God deal with it. It's all about me being free to be who God wants me to be. And walking in unforgiveness is just a chain around our feet. He said, forgive as quickly as God, as thoroughly and quickly as God in Christ forgave us. Colossians chapter 3. We're almost there, folks. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 from the Passion says this. You were always, oh, that's good stuff right there. You were always and dearly loved by God, so robe yourselves with the virtues of God. So that means he's getting ready to tell us what the virtues of God are. And since you have been divinely chosen to be holy, here we go, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Be compassionate, showing kindness toward how many? All. Be gentle, be humble, be unoffendable. Well, well. Be unoffendable in your patience to others. Thank God. Verse 13, tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith. I just can't tolerate. These are the virtues of God. These are the virtues of God. Tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus can operate in the kingdom if we don't act like the king. And if you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these values. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. You've been hurt. It's okay to understand you've been hurt, but you gotta choose to let it go. You gotta choose to give it up. Harboring unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. I'll show you. Now, I wanna close with one set of scriptures, and this is the last one, because Holy Spirit said something to me this week and it just, it, it, it knocked my socks off. Matthew chapter 18, right after he starts talking about what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21 from the message, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Everybody knows this, right? And Jesus replied, hardly, try 70 times seven. Now, here's the thing. Peter thought he was being slick. 
When we're talking about seven times here, Peter thought he was being slick because the Jewish religious leaders said that you only had to forgive somebody three times. And so he thought he was being smart. How many of you know that their language was all tied out, tied, all tied into numerology? Numbers meant something. Jesus didn't just say this as trying to give them a number. He was trying to give them a meaning. Oh, come on. So Peter thought he was being slick because he wanted to show that his righteousness was, was going to be greater. And Jesus said, seven, try 70 times seven. Now here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, you dumb Western American thinker. He said, why in the world do you think I'm talking about multiplication there? Because we've all heard it preached, 70 times seven is 490. So we've got to forgive for her. See, that's because we're looking for a way. How, many, how long do I have to put up with this? We're looking for an out. And if I get an out at 490, I'm out. He wasn't talking about multiplication here at all. But in our westernized problem of Christianity and Eastern religion, that means multiplication, because that's what we do in America. Amen? Tracy's got my bag, it's all right. The number seven, this is what Peter understood. When he said seven, he knew what he was saying. The number of seven means what? Perfect. Completeness. Not completion. Completeness is the whole thing. So Peter thought he was being smart when he said, well, I tell you what, it means not lacking. So he, Peter said, shall I forgive seven times the number of completion, the n number of completeness? Should I forgive the number of perfection? Mm. And Jesus said seven times. Seventy times seven. When you add the number 10 to any number, it is the completion of the number it's behind. So he said, Peter said, how about I, I walk in completeness? The whole, the whole kit and caboodle of forgiveness. And Jesus said, no, the forgiveness I want you to walk in is going to take you to the very end of an order. Jesus, Jesus wasn't trying to give him a number. He was trying to give him an age. When you add the number 10, to, 10 space to any number, it then means the completion of that number. So the Jewish person that Peter was, he would have understood that when, he, when Jesus said 70, he says, no, I want to take you to the end of an order. The end of the natural order of the number seven. Oh, you say, why are you telling me this? Because going beyond 70 meant that you were going beyond the natural order. So when Jesus said, I want to take you to the end of the order, to end of completeness, the end of perfection, I want to take you, I want you to take number seven of how you forgive even further, and then we're going to add seven more completeness on. You're going beyond the natural into the supernatural. 
Forgiveness is a supernatural act. Peter says, I'm going to make it natural. Let's take it to the end. Jesus said, no, let's go further than that. He wasn't trying to give you a number. He was trying to say, how long will you forgive? You will forgive until you're out of the natural realm and into the supernatural realm. And when I walk in forgiveness, it takes me out of the natural and sets me over into the supernatural. And from there, I operate as the king setting in the kingdom of heaven. Operating in this type of forgiveness that Jesus really wants you to operate in is a supernatural thing. And it can only be done when you release your spirit. You're the only one that can do it. You're the only one with the capability, capability to push yourself into the supernatural realm. And one of the quickest ways to do that is make sure that there is no unforgiveness that you're holding on to. Seven, the end of the natural order and then beyond. Oh, forgiveness is supernatural, folks. So how long does God want us to forgive? There is no end. Because He will never end being forgiving God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. Father, it is time for us to operate in this type of forgiveness, to move out of the natural realm into the supernatural realm where we're always supposed to operate. And so we thank you for it, Lord, and I praise you. And Father, let us release ourselves into this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.